It's Great Mondays Radio. I'm Josh Levine, your host, founder of Great Mondays. We help executives from hypergrowth technology and social enterprise organizations build cultures that attract, engage, and retain top talent. If you'd like to be a guest on our program, hang out for about 20 minutes and I'll tell you how. Welcome back to Great Mondays Radio. I am Josh Levine, your host, and with me today is the amazing Corey Shower. She is the Director of Customer Experience at the DC Public Library. Uh, Corey is someone actually I've known for a long time professionally and have had the opportunity to work with, and I'm really excited about some of the stories that she has to share so Corey, welcome. Thank you for coming on and uh, tell tell me a little bit about your background, what you do, what is a, you know, what's your experience in customer what does customer experience have to do with culture? <laughs> Thank you, Josh. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, yep, I'm Corey Shower. I'm the director of customer experience at DC Public Library. My background is in user research and service design, which I've been doing for about 20 so many years um, at a wide variety of places like NASA, or I got to work in human spaceflight, which is a which was just a, a hoot and a half. And I can tell lots of stories about that and culture. Um, I worked at Mozilla. Um, I was at Dropbox for a while. I worked for the city of San Francisco um, and I worked a lot on cannabis. So uh, we can talk about that if you want. Um, and I, uh, and, and patient experience also for the city of San Francisco. And now I am here in DC. So culture, customer experience and culture have a lot in common. They go hand in hand a lot because if your company culture is not focused on customers yet, you are focused on customers. It's hard to deliver to your customers. If your staff don't want to do that, which is kind of, mm -hmm. uh, kind of what's happening at the library. So we can talk about that too. Yeah. So one one of the things that I like to get into is kind of your or, culture origin story, right? If you're Ooh. a culture superhero, what what was that moment if you can think back to where you realized um that culture played a role, that culture was really was important, became important to you in the work that you do. Well, culture I mean, aside from being a culture anthropology major, so culture is always at the forefront of my work, but from a company culture perspective, I was actually introduced to that quite early on. Um, I had, during grad school, um, I had interned at both eLab in Chicago and then Studio Archetype in New York, and both of those uh, design agencies were then purchased in the very beginnings of the dot-com era uh, by Sapient. And Sapient um, at the time was like the one of the premier web design and technology firms in the late 90s and early 2000s. And they had a very strong company culture. And so when we all merged together, um, we created this new kind of new and improved culture. And it was how you lived. It had a book. It had, uh, there were values and these values were how you were evaluated. Your performance was evaluated by those values and not just annually, but quarterly. So mm. if you got bonuses, 
you know, uh, every pro oh, also at the end of every project, the project was evaluated by every individual on the project as well as the client. And that was all done by the values. So the clients got to say whether you were living the values throughout your project. And then that kind of all leveled up to your performance reviews. Um, and so bonuses and other things were attached to how you live those values. So it was very early on in my career that I was um, very aware of, of what company culture was, what it meant, what it could be, when it went well and how it worked and how it felt when it was good and then how it felt when it was like not good. So I've kind of seen both sides of that, but um, I would say so pretty early. Yeah. It was always part of my, and part of how I shopped for jobs too. Oh, really? You, mm -hmm. it's, so you were like, okay, this makes sense to me. And then you internalize that and use that as a filter. Yeah, exactly. Looking for the right company to join. Exactly. I think, you know, Sapiens was a little uh, extreme, I will say. I don't know if you need all that kind of evaluation, but I will say that it did promote a certain way of thinking around, you know, our, our values were around openness and creativity, things that, that matched my personal value system. Mm -hmm. So it worked well for me, but um, it made me aware of the purposefulness around a company and what it wants to be and that there is work involved in that. And so when I looked around at other places to work, I was always looking for, well, how do we talk about ourselves? How, what are the expectations around how we are together. And that's mm -hmm. important for me is how are we together? And, um, you know, some places have it and some places don't. And I've worked in both. So, you know, I've seen both sides of that. What? So you started in the kind of the quintessential tech company, yeah. right? Like you got that experience and you've been um, around in next to kind of these tech organizations for a long time, but you have pretty deliberately worked. It has, it appears to me, and you can tell me, you know, how you kind of started, but it, you've worked in, I don't know if you call it public services or government. What, um, why did you choose to do that briefly? I mean, maybe that's culture related or not, but more importantly for me and, and what I'm interested in is what would you say, how would you compare the way that a private, creative tech and or tech company engages with this idea of culture or not, and and the and a governmental service or public services does or not? Benefits, challenges, what could we learn from that? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Um, so I moved away from the tech industry very purposefully in 2016 after working at Dropbox, which is kind of the, you know, the quintessential, yeah. um, um, you know, te yeah, tech, store, you know, tech startup that's really big, about to go public, kind of getting its act together, but has a lot of resources. I mean, it was just swank to be there. It was a lovely place to work. But it wasn't fulfilling for me in the sense of what what I was working on. It's not that the problems weren't challenging or that that it wasn't interesting work. It was, but I wanted to be of service to my community in ways that I had not been before. It was I was always mm -hmm. in service of customers or in service of making money or in service of a board, for the most part, except for my time at NASA, which was a totally different different story. But 
I, uh, I purposefully went looking for a job in government to, and especially local government, so that I could be of service to my community and bring the skills that I have forward. Um, when I moved into the government space, I went to the city of San Francisco and I worked, first worked in um, public, the um, Department of Public Health and patient experience. And then, uh, and then I went to the digital services team and, and actually worked for the Office of Cannabis through that, the digital services team. And the, the challenge, I think the, the biggest difference between company culture in the private sector and then culture in the public sector is really about resources and um, so money, you know, and then probably the the way you hire, right? And and mm -hmm. and the functions of government versus the functions of a private sector company. Private sector companies are there about first of all, they're about making money. Let's be real about that. They're about making money. Yeah. They are about um, answering the needs of a specific audience or set of audiences, and then the board, if they have one, right, which they usually do, or or shareholders. And there are a lot of um, tensions at play there, but that's what you're really doing. You're 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 putting a product out or a set of product or services out into the world for people to purchase and use. And so when you have private sector. Uh, you know, work, you can build the company culture you want because you typically would have the resources to do so. So you can put money towards it. You can put people towards it. Um, in government, you, can, you can't and don't do those things very often. Government is, um, is really there to serve the needs of, of the residents of a, of a place. Um, they answer all sorts of needs across the board, um, whether it be health or safety or, um, you know, zoning and planning and building. I mean, there's a, there's a million and one things that your local entities are doing for you and, um, and probably serving you in ways you don't even know that are both, you know, feel very imaginary and then feel real. Like, for example, if your, gov your garbage doesn't get picked up, if you happen to be in a place where, you know, your government does garbage like mine um, or a San Francisco, it was paid. Right when I used to live there, and um, so you know you've got all these things that it has to do. And so when you when you work for a government, you typically have um, a lot of employees that do a lot of different things and have a lot of different experiences and backgrounds. And so you're not hiring from always from like the Stanford's or the Yales or the you know the big uh, Ivy League schools. To, to be able to do your development work. Um, you may be hiring in a different way because you have laws and legislation around how you hire, right? Which is great. Mm -hmm. um, you know, San Francisco has one of the best um, equivalency uh, hiring um, uh, laws around, you know, you can have a degree or you can have the equivalency work years, which I think is excellent. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of ways that that is. But then that means, though, that you've got people from all different walks of life working in the same place or the same spaces. So for me, working in, you know, the D.C. Public Library, I've got people from all over the place, from all different backgrounds, 
um, you know, and experiences that come together and work in this place. And they don't have the same belief systems or come from an already right. narrow, you know, way of living or working or being. Right. That you saw a Dropbox pretty, pretty regularly. Right. 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 It's, it's like more. You, you come in with a certain set of assumptions and you understand how we work in tech. It's like, you know, here are the things you want to be efficient and you want to do this thing. And we, we start from a basic set of assumptions. And what you're telling me is in government work, it's like, we're just bringing in, we might bring great people in, talented people in. We don't have, doesn't have to be from a top tier school, but there's a set of assumptions and life experiences that are much more diverse. And which... right. Correct. And the salary ranges are different and the expectations are different and people have, you know, differing uh, opinions about what their job is. Some people just a job is a job is a job. And some people, mm. a job is a career. It really mm. runs the gamut in government work. So when you're creating culture in government work, I think it, it's harder to do because you have to think about all these different parts and pieces and, and different um, things coming together in one place. But you also, um, I think have, once that comes together though, I think you have, a, it's, it's not homogenous, right? It's very solidly strong. So when people come together and co-create and agree on what they want their culture to be, I think you have a, uh, yeah. What's the right way to put it? I think it's going to be stronger. I think it's going to be longer lasting, mm. but I think it takes a lot more to build. Right. More buy-in is required. Right. right. So in, in a sense, the difference is there's kind of already a culture. I mean, I guess, you know, I would argue that whether you're working on it or not, you have culture, right? Your company has a culture. Um, so there's probably when you're thinking about a private company or a company in particular industry, there's a base set of assumptions and you're probably going to work in a certain, there's a, there's like a range that you're going to be your cult kind of culture. Now you can shift and change and adjust that, but you're going to start with something and it's going to be pretty, pretty fun, you know, pretty functional maybe. Um, but here you're saying, I don't know, like it could be anything, the range of possibilities of how this works. And it, that means that it has a lower bottom, right? Which is like, it could just be, you know, people just like, I'm not even interested in working with you, right? I have no, we have no, unif you know, shared purpose to what you're saying is if you do get it together, if you're able to invest that kind of energy to um, reduce the entropy and increase the directionality that it actually might be more resilient and, and, and successful, a uh, powerful, let's say. Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, it's, yes, that's a good succinct way of saying all the things I just said. <laughs> <laughs> that's my job. <laughs> so um, let's talk a little bit about the work that you're doing right now at the DC Public Library. You are the director of customer experience. That's why you were hired. And yet you're, you are now essentially the figurehead of the work, the culture work that's happening there. Can you tell us a little <laughs> bit about like, how that happened and yeah. where you where you got into it? Sure, yeah, um, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I came to be the first director of customer experience that the DC Public Library has ever had, and I have yet to really put forward uh, a full customer experience program because we've been 
focused on culture work as well as then, of course, our very solid interlude with COVID. And uh, and I was working on reopening strategies for COVID the, for three years, basically. Right. But right. yeah, so I my first year here, I was I came in in 2019. And, um, you know, as a good researcher, designer type person would do, the first thing I did was go interview everybody that I could. And over that first year, um, I actually interviewed 276 people in person uh, across the system out of 600 people. So it was like, you know, a third of the, more than a third of the agency. There's one thing we can say about Corey, it's that she's thorough. (laughs) <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, I went and talked to anybody who would sit down with me. I went to every branch. I wanted to understand, you know, I don't come from libraries and libraries are special and beautiful places, Yeah. but they didn't operate the way that I expected them to, um, or at least DC Public Library doesn't. I, yeah. I think I had this like very different understanding of how libraries work. And I got here and was realizing, oh, wow, they're there's so much process and much of it is jumbled and we're a quasi independent agency, which means we get to make up a lot of our own rules. We don't have to follow all of the district Mm. rules all the time. And that was tangled. And I wasn't sure how that works. And as I went around and talked to everybody, I was doing these like kind of, you know, quarterly, you know, research reviews with, with the executives and telling them my findings and really what was coming forward is that aside from the fact that nobody is customer focused and it's very we're we're a very staff focused agency mm. we have a lot of challenges and one of the biggest challenges was that people didn't have a shared vision of what we do libraries especially public libraries tend to be the kitchen sink of all things we're kind of like the gap filler for all government stuff if you got a question go to the library People will help you. Those nice librarians will help right. you. Right? You're going to run into somebody's willing to try to at least try to help you. Right? right. So, so, you know, it's, it was clear that nobody really had a shared understanding of what we do. So that's that shared purpose. Nobody had a shared purpose. And with that, there were no values that were shared that underpin how we are together and why we're doing this shared work together. So at the same time as that, there was a formal HR assessment being done um, externally um, by a consulting group. And they it did a bunch of interviewing and they did all the, the, the HR, you know, all the like formal review of all the process and stuff and basically came up with the same problem. And yeah. so when that came forward, um, we agreed, okay, yes, culture, we need to work on it. And we need to create in particular, we need to create a purpose and values. And I said, I raised my hand and I said, I'd like to lead this work. Is that possible? And they were like, uh, yeah, new person. Sure thing. <laughs> sure, dummy. <laughs> right, here up. you go. <laughs> and that was at the end of 2019 going into 2020. And I was just revving that work up right when the pandemic happened. Yeah. And then we kind of had to yeah. figure out how to do that work in the midst of a really scary time. And so we kind of put it on pause for most of 2020, picked it back up at the end of 2020, going into 21, and then kind of have been sailing ever since. We created our purpose and values. We co-created them. They were created by our staff. 
um, and, and a representative group of our staff that across the agency built those together. And, um, and we launched that to all staff during in 19, yeah, in, uh, when did we do that? June of 22, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we followed that up with a series of culture conversations, which were much more focused and in-depth conversations across the agency. We had 14 of those. And that um, then kind of rolled into, you know, what to do next. We had a couple of culture roadmaps. We had some, we did rewards and recognition. Um, We did a strategy around that, which frankly has just been sitting there. So that's a, that's one of those moments where if you don't have somebody to hand it off to that's as excited as you are, I guess yeah. that's one of my like failure moments of like yeah. find your internal allies that are just as excited. No, you can I I cannot. And I am I am one person among 600 people. We all need to carry this culture together. Yeah. Um, I'm happy to shepherd, but I can't shepherd forever. It's it, 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 especially since that's actually not my role. Right. right? I need to actually do my day yeah. job plus this, but right. that's actually, uh, you know, and so my customer experience work suffers in a way for that because I'm not focused on it. But my thought was, if we have a solid culture and part of that culture and part of those values is about how we treat not only each other, but also treat our customers, then I can start working on flipping us from being staff focused to customer focused. So it was right. a little bit selfish <laughs> to yeah, do of course, it, of but course. that's how I, that's how I thought about it. All right. So uh, you had the gift of not only your own primary research, but also this other uh, HR assessment to say, Hey, people don't understand what's going on here and they don't have a shared sense of values. And you went, Oh, great. We're going to create a purpose and values, but what is the goal? Like, why was that? important what were you trying to or what what was the yeah what was the importance of this what were you trying to achieve and how far along that path have you gotten i mean you've just launched them a year what a year ago, a year ago. right a year ago. so so it's been a couple of years that it takes time it's a process so what are you trying to um for those listening who are like sure it would be nice to have some values sure it would uh, that sounds like a nice to have but you spent your time and energy um, and um, because you felt like it was important. What, what did you want to achieve? Have you achieved it? Is there something else that came up that benefit? Maybe is there a, a, a sort of a surprise benefit to having done that? Well, I, as I said, selfishly, I wanted to be able to move us from being customer or you know, towards being customer focused rather than looking at our navels and just, we do a lot of navel gazing. Right. And I wanted to be able to look up, look out and really understand that there's more to our work than just us and how we feel about it. Um, And so that's how I, I wanted it to go. I think the values that we created in a way are a snapshot of a snapshot of, of time for where we are right now. I think some of the values are, the values are gorgeous. There are five of them. They're gorgeous, um, but they're also basic. Like our first value is about give and get respect. And in many places, you don't even need to say that. It's just there. But in our agency, that's something that we have to say to each other. And mm-hmm. what does that look like and, and feel like? And how do we live that together, right? And that's what the culture conversations have been. Is like, 
the actuality of living that. And I, this is something that people probably can guess about libraries and librarian librarians and library staff members is that they're very detail-oriented people and they like to know all the things. So one of the, the reasons we did the culture conversations and we'll continue to do more work on this is because people want specific examples of how this work, how their values show up in their everyday work, how they can use the values in different situations. They truly need and crave this detailed set of explanations and scenarios and practicing, which kind of blew my mind. I was literally like, wow, I don't, but you're, you're adults in the world. Do you not live in the world and like not understand the, like, don't you, does this, I felt it was a little, I mean, this may sound jerky, but I felt like some of the things we were coming up with were fairly commonsensical. Given and that's respect. when I, but, right, but that's when I realized everybody, we have so many people from so many different backgrounds and so mm. many different experiences. And also, um, you know, we, we've been studying and bringing in trauma-informed care into our work and realizing that people have, everybody has trauma in their lives. And so how we process trauma and think about trauma and how trauma is triggered and then re-triggered by, by things that one thing may not mean anything to me, but could trigger you. Right. right? And right. so, because I don't know something that happened in your life and the next thing you know, you're not able to respond in a way that I would think to a very simple, what seemingly simple situation for me is triggering for you and bringing that work into how we think about our values has been completely eye-opening. So that's what we've been doing mm. this year mm. is combining trauma-informed care principles with our values and matching those up and being able to then rewrite and rethink all of our scenarios so that we're able to live our values while caring for ourselves at the same time and then having empathy and holding empathy for one another. Mm. And that, I think, I mean, that's so powerful. And I mean, aside from needed, it's just so powerful to have written down and put in a book and be allowable and also expected, right? And so, you know, overall, the response is good so far, but we have a long road. It's not going to, it's not going to, you know, it's going to be a while. I'm going to have to chip away at this over time. Right. And people deal with things in different ways and they, they, you know, they think about the agency in different ways. And so um, it's just going to take me a bit to figure out how to get that all out there in the right ways. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm so happy that we we talked earlier about all the the kind of the can use the term diversity or all the different kinds of people that are showing up here, because that's really feeding into this. We need to create a deeper understanding of what is expected of us, and we need to create a deeper understanding of one another's experiences, because you, like you said, you're there are things that wouldn't even occur to you that that would be problematic. And I would suggest that probably the drop boxes of the world would do well to also have this conversation. Yes. Everybody has trauma, everybody. And you don't know what's happening 
in your coworker's life all the time. You know, you may know what's going on in your close friend, co- close coworker's life, or you may think you know, right. but you don't know, right? Yeah. And so it, I think trauma-informed care, I mean, especially after the pandemic, we are all carrying the weight of the pandemic. We've still got weight on our shoulders from the pandemic. There's also Absolutely. weight of the world, right? We've got crazy things going on in, in Ukraine. We've got, you know, we've got an election pending. We've got climate change. There's all these very deep and heavy things. Yeah. You know, we've got a lot of divide in our country, racism, you know, there's just a, you name it, right? All these deep things that are weighing on all of us and having tools and frameworks that you can um, use to help your staff or staff, you know, uh, be able to care for each other and themselves in smart ways is just a win-win, right? And then you couple that with values. I mean, you can't go wrong. I I think it would be hugely beneficial for all the private um, agencies to get on board with trauma-informed care. I mean, public sector has been doing this for a while. It's new to the library, to our library system. It's not mm. new to libraries and it's definitely not new to healthcare. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So when it comes to advice for other, let's say, um, not just libraries, but you obviously have a deep experience, but let's say public services or government or or governmental organizations, if there's someone that's listening to this, um, what would, and, and they, they're, they believe that culture is something that can make a difference, can improve the way that organization people inside their organization work together and deliver these services, improve the customer experience, perhaps even, do you have a, a piece of advice? Do you have some suggestions like where I don't know, or observations even, right? Like uh, what what should a person in this position do? Where do they start? Well, ultimately, I guess it depends on your role in the agency or the organization that you work in, right? If you're yeah. if you're at a at a level at which you are a decision maker and are able to affect change, I would suggest you go straight to your bosses, your top C level people. And start talking, you know, I and say, hey, listen, I have, I, I have this idea about culture and culture change. Uh, I, I think that we it would be great for us to explore this. There are so many resources out there uh, to be looking at um, for culture work. Um, I would read your book. I have a, a copy. Read my on book. My That's number right one. Now. Go and buy, yes. go and buy Josh's book. Right. That's right. Okay, fair. Number, no, truly number one. I mean, it's a great book, and it's actually a, a true on how to do this work. <laughs> you know, step by step. Yeah. So it's been a guide for for our team for sure. Um, but you know, I think it's a matter of like being able to say, you know, hey, um, this. This culture has opportunity for for being better. We can serve each other better, which means if we're serving each other better, we can serve our customers uh, better. And I think that, um, you know, and I mean, there's a lot of proof in that too, Mm -hmm. uh, already out there money-wise. I mean, just look at, you know, all the um, work that Joie de Vivre has done over the years to think about when when you care for your staff, 
you, your staff will care for their customers. And then you've got this mm-hmm. great hospitality going. Right. It's all Chihuahua that Airbnb. The hotel. Chihuahua right. is the hotel. Right. Chip Connolly. Yeah. Right. Chip Connolly. Connolly. Yeah. Yep. Who went, who yep. then went to Airbnb and did that host experience for Airbnb and that whole, I mean, he proved that he made money yeah. on that mantra. Right. Yep. So, um, uh, you know, I think that, I think that I would, I would, that would be my first thing to do is to do that. I would also start asking around, you know, Hey, can you define our culture? What is it? What are we, who are we? What do we do? Don't look at the website. Don't look at the mission statement. Tell me what do we actually, what is it actually, what is the actual culture? And then the other thing is ask yourself, well, what do you want it to be? Right. How do Mm. I want to feel when I'm at work? How do I want things to be at work? How do I want to solve Mm. problems while I'm at work? How do I want to collaborate with others and start asking those questions to everybody around you? And that, and then you, you know, that's how my work kind of started was in that space. And then, you know, if you've got some findings around that, take that to the C-level. If you're not C-level, then bring it to your boss. You know, if you can't do the company, do your team. Yep. You know, create some nice, yep. de- like I like to design alliances with teams and that's a real, that's a coaching technique, but it's the way that you openly set expectations of how we are together. When we are together, we will be this way. We will, res- we'll have our meetings between this time and this time. We will respect each other by X, Y, Z. Uh, somebody will need to have their camera off because whatever, we'll have hybrid meetings, whatever it happens to be that we need. But then yeah. it's like, the logistics and then the how we feel together. I want to leave mm-hmm. this meeting feeling energized. I don't want just to give you updates. I want to be inspired. I want to whatever. That you can just start with your team yeah. and, and live that in a team space. And then you can kind of grow out from there. Yeah, it's it's about providing your team with what they need to do their best work. Of exactly. course, you know, of course, there's sort of the humanity of, it's great to be nice to each other. I'd love for you to leave with more energy. There are, there will be hard days. This is how we will survive those hard days. But at the end of the day, how do you put in the kind of um, energy resources support so that the people on your team can do their best work? And what you're describing, right? The first part of the system of of designing a culture purpose and values establishes that expectation here is the here are the things that are important that are critical give right. and get respect and listen even if you're not actively a disrespectful person to keep that front and center right is is so critical and so these are the these are the tools that are that are really important yeah hey man you're spending all your time at work you might as well be happy there Right. Right. You might as well get get more than get more than money if you can, right? Like that's that's the point. So exactly and you can provide more than just your hours. That's right. So that's that's yeah, that's great. Amazing. Corey Shower, the director of customer experience at the DC Public Library. You can check out the newly relaunched website that she was also uh, part of doing at the at dclibrary.org. It has been amazing to talk to you. Thank you so much for being a, a guest and a great partner because we've done some of this work together. And uh, right. I really, I really, uh, I really value that. So thanks, Corey. It was really great to have you on Great Mondays Radio. Oh, thank you so much, Josh. Thank you. I, um, It was a pleasure. And it's always a pleasure to work with you. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.
Thanks for listening to Great Mondays Radio. Hey, if you want to be a guest, head over to greatmondays.com slash radio. We'd love to hear from you. And if you think this episode was interesting and your friends and fans would enjoy it, please share on social media. And if you want to get more people to understand the power of company culture in business today, please rate and review Great Mondays Radio on your podcasts app or podcast feed. It really helps us reach more people. If you want to make sure to hear more candid conversations with culture leaders, subscribe to Great Mondays Radio. And I'd love to connect with you. Find me on LinkedIn at aka Josh Levine, on YouTube at Great Mondays, and you can always email me, josh at greatmondays.com. Find out more about our work with hypergrowth technology and social enterprise organizations, or grab a copy of our book at greatmondays.com. I'm Josh Levine. Thanks for listening to Great Mondays Radio.